Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games. The kind of thing you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend. Games that respect your time. I am your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my co-host, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great. It's been a good holidays. Um, we've uh, finally gotten past all of the complex social requirements of the holidays, and now we're on into serious video game time in 2016. Absolutely. Nobody wants to do anything in January in Chicago except be in their apartments, and I'm going to be all over all of the games in our January list. We're kind of cleaning up our uh, 2015 list. Obviously, there's nothing come out in 2016 yet as of the second. So there's so many uh, so many things that I didn't get to play in 2015 or that I started playing and I'm only just now getting around to. And one that kind of kept getting bumped down on our list for one reason or another just due to scheduling and the fact that I had to, you know, celebrate Christmas and such, uh, was Mushroom 11. And I'm kind of excited that uh, we are finally getting around to talking about this game because it almost, almost made my 2015 Game of the Year list. Not top, but it would it would have been placed if we'd have managed to get to it before the year rolled around. And I think if this game, um, we haven't talked about it yet, but the way it plays feels like once it gets out on a touch device, this would have become one of my Games of the Year. That's really true. Like, we'll talk about that. But this game, I, I think they're planning an iPad version. Yeah, they're working on it. I mean, they're rightfully trying to make sure that the touch mechanics are precise because precision is very important here. Yeah. Um, so it's one of their – it's their next platform. Mushroom 11 is a sort of a puzzle platformer. But I say sort of because it's really unique. It's really unlike other puzzle platformers that you might have already played. Yeah, you play as this blob of organic matter. Um, I know, the most interesting character possible. Um, there's no, it's not, you might be thinking like this is a little like cartoon blob in your head. No, it's just a bunch of cells stuck together. There's no eyeballs. There's no characteristics. But what it does have is a really cool visceral feel to it. You kind of erase yourself with the mouse and then that lets you regrow on different parts of your body. It's we related it um, before the show to squeezing a piece of modeling clay between your fingers and having it ooze out the top and bottom. And it's that the game. Yeah, it's very mechanical. Uh, apparently this game came out of originally uh, a, a game jam at NYU um, where the theme was Ouroboros. And uh, so that kind of the led to snake them... eating its tail. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that kind of led to the idea of destroying yourself in order to progress, which is what you're doing in this game. The fungus or blob or whatever you are, the mushroom, I guess. It's not really a mushroom. It's kind of misleading. We should write them a letter. Um, you're, the, the giant green blob that you're playing as, you can erase it all the way down to what would I guess be a single cell. Like it's kind of made up of a, a sort of a set volume of little blobs that all stick together in a sort of a firm shape. So you might be, you know, a long, thin blob that works like a board, or you might be a circular blob, or you might kind of whittle yourself down into a square, but you're always a sort of a rigid collection of little dots, almost. Um, and you can erase it all the way down to just a single dot, and it's still alive. And as soon as you stop erasing, it immediately grows back, but it grows back in new directions. So if you're erasing it from the back, it grows towards the front. If you erase it from the top, it kind of grows downwards and side to side. 
but the the way that it grows is very unpredictable. You're never exactly growing in exactly one direction. It's always kind of trying to move away from your eraser and fill all the other space that it can sort of randomly. Yeah, it's a little bit like trying to, um, like a gack or some other kind of liquid where it's viscous and it's growing just enough in every direction, but it has a bit of a weight to it, which I really enjoyed. Um, there are no straight lines in this game. Everything is very cellular. It's growing in odd little directions. And one of the most fun things about the game is um, you're not only destroying to move forward, but you're destroying to get into odd shapes, to create hooks, to shape your little cellular body, amalgamation of parts, in such a way that you can solve puzzles. So that's why we called it a puzzle platformer. There are times where you do need to speed through. There are times you need to collect things that are out of the way. But really, you're working just with the environment and trying to use it to help you shape yourself to achieve your goal. Yeah. Uh, so like a, a quick example would be, you know, if you have to cross a gap, then you might need to first squeeze your blob into a kind of a vertical shape and then tip over so that you fall across the gap, making yourself into a sort of a bridge. Or you might need to balance something, in which case you might need to split your blob into two or more segments, all of which might be able to move sort of independently. And then you might need to destroy one of those segments to change the balance or something like that. So all of these, uh, this sort of key central mechanic of destroying the blob to move the blob plays out in tons of inventive ways across this game. That's the yeah. thing that really surprised me the most about this. This game is not super short. I mean, we're talking about about, it took me about six hours and I think the dev estimates around eight. I think that's probably about right for most folks. It, it takes you about eight hours to complete this game and it really never throws the same problem at you twice, even though it's all using just a single central mechanic. Yeah, all you're doing is clicking to erase and you can do big or small erasers. And it's really lovely because the aha moments are perfectly timed. Um, they have a great flow between levels. Um, the levels are a little long, so you kind of get through a major event or obstacle. There's a save point and then you keep moving forward. Um, but what makes the game feel so right is that you'll have a challenge where you need to maybe split in half and you need to sacrifice most of your body to get across a chasm. And then the next time you actually get to keep your body whole and then you stretch. They really pace out when you have to destroy, when you have to change shape. And someone has really thought through a level design where you use different mechanics all through the level. You don't tend to do the same thing with a slight variation over and over again, which you see at a lot of puzzle platformers. Yeah, so many different, so so much variety here. Like, for example, one of my favorite puzzles took me forever to figure out what was going on, but I realized, oh, if I uh, sort of surround this little post with the blob, then when the steam vent hits it, the blob will spin at a relatively high speed. Well, what does that do for me? Not much, but I can carve off a tiny piece of the blob while it's spinning, and that will eject in the direction that I need to fly, and then quickly erase the whole rest of the blob so now suddenly the whole blob is flying through the air like these little little discoveries happen throughout the game and that was you know that was four and a half or five hours into the game where i uh you know was suddenly trying something that was totally new that i hadn't seen before so it's full of little inventive puzzle solving ideas but the puzzles are 
also really about execution. Like it's not it's not a game about careful platforming. Uh, a lot of platform games, if they have a high challenge, the challenge is really about very carefully and exactly managing jumps and momentum. And there's some of that here, although there's no jumps. But really, all of the execution, all of the like skill here is just about learning to use this very clever erase and destroy mechanic. And just I can't tell you how, how what a pleasure it is to do. Like it's so much fun. If you've ever played with a, a glob of silly putty or something, this is it, it's very tactile, it's very satisfying. One way they reinforce this physicality is the speed. So when you get to go through a little thin gap, you speed up because everything is moving in one direction. When you're trying to go uh, inch higher and higher, it's a really slow process where you might be going out to the side and you have to prune. Uh, I think they really considered how the environmental shape and how much room you have changes the pace of the story because sometimes you just fly through and it feels very realistic for you know, I've never been a blob of fungi, but it felt accurate. The physics feels really on point. Even though it does sort of make some weird physics concessions to like making the game mechanics make sense. So for example, like you look at this blob of goo and think it's a blob of goo. It's going to deform to fit its container, right? But it doesn't. It's a rigid shape. Also, it's kind of laid out in a grid. In fact, you can even see the grid lines. So the the blob is kind of made up of a bunch of distinct, I guess you'd call them cells. And when you destroy, like you can you can count them. If you destroy one, you use the small eraser and destroy one cell on one side, one more cell grows on the other. It has an exactly fixed volume. And you can, so it, it has this sort of weird physics that it's not what I was expecting. Like I've played, um, the Dr- Drinkbox Studios has a game called um, About a Blob. And then a sequel, um, Mutant Blobs Attack, which are both platformers about a blob. And when I heard Mushroom Eleven's pitch, I thought, oh, so it's about a blob, right? It's the same thing. But it's very different. And the biggest difference is, like, you think when you're playing as a blob, if you've seen movies about blobs, you know blobs do one thing. They absorb things and they grow. They get bigger as they go. But this blob never changes volume or mass. Even though you do eat things, it's sort of a points thing. You you never get bigger. And that was really surprising to me. I kind of expected this to be a a game about growing into the biggest blob. But no, you're always this exactly fixed number of cells. Um, And I guess your goal, you said story, Laura. This game has no story. (laughs) We can talk about that. But I guess your goal is to eventually spread yourself across the world. But that's that sort of story is told in the vaguest possible way. You're not really aiming for that. It's not as if every um, there are boss fights, which oh is, yeah, which is totally unexpected. But it's not as if each boss fight gets you a step closer to world domination or something. No, the boss fights just put into practice everything you've learned on the level, and um, you kind of eat them, and then they <laughs> get mad at you, and then you continue defeating them, and then you move on. There are more obstacles than anything else. I really enjoyed the boss fights. Yeah. They're they're the only time when you're really you're fighting something and it's more just that you're you're interacting with something that's moving. Like there are moving platforms and things in the game, but 
But the uh, the boss fights have, you know, your typical boss fight stages. You know, the boss might have a phase where it's kind of wiggling around and another phase where it's kind of shooting fireballs or something like that. And you have to respond to that. But usually the boss fights are just a matter of um, how do I get my blob up past all of these dangerous things and up to the juicy part at the top that I can absorb. And how you do that is really like – it really varies. The boss fights are a lot of fun. And I wasn't expecting boss fights in this game at all, let alone ones that I thought were really cool. And again, boss fights don't lend themselves to their story. They're plants. Like, they're all just plants. They're plants. And it made me think perhaps I am the villain of this game. <laughs> it's kind of post-apocalyptic, and there are signs and things. And games like Spider have trained me to look at the background of a world and see if I can piece together a larger story. Just don't bother yeah, I tried really hard in this game. Like I was really like pixel peeping and looking at every sign that I could. And it's obvious that the developer has some kind of an idea about what the world of Mushroom 11 is. It seems to be post-apocalyptic. Or at least industrial. Yeah, yeah. And you're moving through a world that has no people in it, although it's clear that people have been here. There are signs with pictures of people and whatnot. Like the first thing you see in the game is an illustration of a blob with little angry eyes eating people. Um, so I assume, well, perhaps I am that blob, perhaps our blob is the blob that ate people. Is that true? But we have no indication of that. Like we proceed through the rest of the game and you see a bunch of signs that have this sort of fallout-esque kind of like maybe vault y kind of vibe. You'll see a population counter that is getting, you know, marked off and penned down and down and down. Yeah. So it's clear that everybody died. Why did everybody die? Or how does the blob that we're playing as relate to that? Um, there are some very vague hints at it, but really I got all the way through this game to the very end and really didn't learn anything about the world of the game apart from just that sort of surface stuff. And actually that was probably my biggest complaint about the game. I really enjoyed this game on a physical level. Like it's it's like a it's a really fun thing to do. Um just physically shaping the blob is a is a fun thing to do. Um, and the puzzles are smart, but story-wise, there's nothing here. Like it, it needs, I, it, I really wanted more. Um, and I was like really looking for more and I don't know if I was just missing things. Maybe there were secret rooms or something that I was not getting to, but I didn't see much. I don't think so. I mean, for people who listen to the podcast a lot, Escape Goat 2 had more story and Escape yeah. Goat 2 had no story. The story <laughs> no. of Escape Goat 2 was I am a goat in a castle that needs to get out and that was more story yeah. than we got Yeah, here. and this would have been a great opportunity for, like you mentioned, Spider. Like, Spider is the perfect example of, of how this game could have told a story more interestingly. Like, Spider, the spider doesn't care what happened in the house and the blob doesn't care what happened to the humans, but, like, they're – they, they could have done a lot more, I think, to hint at it. Um, many levels had essentially no human objects in them whatsoever. And then the few that did, it was not illustrative enough. You know, it, we didn't really, I didn't really learn anything. But that's that's like one small complaint about, that's like saying that like tennis doesn't have enough of a story. Like it's a, it's a fun game to play. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, we only are mentioning it because... You might see a still with a painting in the background and think, aha, this is like Spider. Yeah. I was definitely misled. So it's not even a knock on the game. It's just something we were expecting and didn't really encounter. Yeah, you can still play this a ton. A lot of people are doing speed runs. Um, I think that 
it's designed to be wowed at someone's precision because you're going to be, I will be one of the eight hour people. You know, I, I don't remember how much, how long I took, but it definitely took my time to get through. Yeah. A speed run of this game would be insane to watch. That would be really neat. Actually, I think that the let me see if I can find it here. The dev had a link to a speed run. So it's definitely something that people are doing. I've seen an under three minute first level. What? That's I think insane. That's true. Yeah, that's crazy. There's there's no way that I could get through like most levels of this game take me about an hour. This is a seven level game, and each level is pretty big. Lots of checkpoints, but like each level is, you know, right around an hour. I can't imagine getting through one in three minutes. That's insane. Yeah, I'm seeing an average of, people are saying four minutes, 44 seconds. Wow, that's insane. So yeah, and and particularly insane because the game is so unpredictable in ways. Like, yes, the the mushroom, the, the fungus, grows back in a relatively predictable way, but it's always a little bit different each time. The kind of precision that you would need to really run through this game quickly, like, I can't imagine how you'd manage it. Anyway, I can't wait to watch one of those. I haven't gotten a chance yet. We should maybe put a GIF on the site. <laughs> oh, yeah. Check the show notes. We'll have tons of links to videos. If, you, if you've been listening to this and think, what the heck are they talking about? Um, you know, watch a video of it. Take a look at some GIFs. They'll really explain the concept. Um, or really just play it. The game is $15. It's on Steam. Um, and this is a PC and Mac only release. So far, no consoles, no handheld devices like iPads. I don't know how this game would possibly play with a controller. I think it would be basically impossible. But it's a game that works incredibly well on a two-button mouse, or even on a trackpad. Actually, one thing that I, I wanted to mention about it that I thought was really great was that they they have... Um, so the game has this sort of big eraser and small eraser, and if you're on a two-button mouse, it's left-click and right-click. And I had tried doing that for a while on my trackpad, and it was becoming really frustrating because you know if you're on a Mac, the Mac trackpad doesn't really have a separate right mouse click button, and being able to use the right mouse button in-game was really frustrating. And then I realized they have a really clever shortcut for that, which is just that, that you use the Z key for the eraser, the big eraser, and the X key for the small eraser, and then you never have to actually click with the trackpad. And that combo really worked for me. Like I was able to switch between big and small eraser much more quickly and easily. Um, so it plays great on a trackpad, even if you don't have a two button mouse handy. Yeah, I can't wait to see what they do on touchscreen because it feels so right to be touching the blob itself, but they're having to figure out, I'm sure, how they get the precision of the smaller touch area. Yeah, that'd be really tricky, particularly if they're gonna target an iPhone because while I'd love to be able to try playing this on my iPhone, I think it's I, I think it's impossible. I think it's got to be iPad only. We'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see. I could see them maybe doing something like a sort of a virtual trackpad, but even then, like, yeah, this this has got to go big screen, laptop or desktop computer, maybe an iPad once they kind of come out on that platform. But don't wait for the iPad version. Play this on your Mac or your PC. So what else is there to say about Mushroom 11? Um, the music is pretty good. They hired a, or contracted or licensed music from the Future Sound of London, which I haven't heard of before, but it's a uh, electronic music group. And their their soundtrack for the game was pretty solid. 
I got a little tired of it by the end of the game, but maybe that was just because I was playing it in some pretty long stretches. Um, I'll have some music from the the game in the episode, and um, I'd say it, it definitely works for the sort of stark, post-apocalyptic weirdness kind of vibe that they were going for. Um, and you can get that on Steam alongside the game if you are into it. Mushroom 11 has shown up on a decent chunk of best of the year list. It did come at late October, so that probably contributed to its kind of under-the-radar status. Also, this is something that uh, that was funded by the Indie Fund, and I hadn't realized this until checking it out for this show, but the Indie Fund, I mean, that's a I've seen that sort of in the credits for various games, um, but it's actually pretty interesting. Um, the Indie, indie Game Organization uh, which is, I don't know, I guess it's, a, guess it's a trade group of indie game people. They have a project called the Indie Fund to fund indie developers where they kind of provide funding in a similar way to a publisher, but without a lot of the same sort of publisher requirements that you typically get. And um, they you know pick games, I guess, based on sort of merit, um, but they don't put any sort of requirements on like handing over your intellectual property rights uh, and that sort of thing to to them. Uh, so they give the developer money and the developer makes their game. If they make their money back, they pay back the indie fund. If they don't make their money back, um, after three years, their debt, I guess, to the indie fund is negated and they keep all the, the funds that the game makes after that point, which I think is a really sort of interesting model, sort of very fair-minded. They've funded a ton of games that we've already covered on this show um, and other things that I we haven't covered that I'm pretty interested in. So, for example, they covered The Swapper. Um, they covered Framed, which we really enjoyed and did an episode on. That's the uh, sort of um, music and comic book vibe uh, heist game on iOS. Really cool game. Um, they, uh, they funded a game that we're really looking forward to in next year, Donut County, as Donut well as... County. I know, it looks so fun. Um, they funded... Like, there's a huge list. I can't even list them all. Um, but tons and tons of games. And almost all of them on this list that have already been released have been really interesting. So whoever it is that's picking the games to fund at this indie fund, they really know how to spot them. And um, this is one of those games, actually. They funded this game in 2012. It took four years for this game to come out. And you really see where all that polish went. And I really think that, like the PAX 10, IndieFud's going to be another place to look for games that, you know, once they come out, at least the idea and the concept will be really interesting. So if it's interesting to you, check it out. Uh, their website uh, will be in the show notes, or you can get it on Steam. I think you can also get it on the Humble Store. And uh, hopefully soon you'll be able to get it on iOS, although we don't have an ETA on that yet. Anyway, before we wrap up, um, Laura, what have you been playing lately outside of Mushroom 11? Well, I had a lot of uh, party game, board game time. Uh, I, for Christmas Day, I went over to a friend's place and we watched terrible Christmas rom-coms with a drinking game, which is the only way to watch those. After that, we played a game called Slash, which is I've played with Reagan. Oh, yes. That, that game is, 
Yes, very good. <laughs> yeah, where you pair up, um, every card has a name on it of a historical or pop culture person, and then you guys uh, all get to choose Cards Against Humanity style, who should date who. After that, we decided that we had enough romance and it was time to destroy the world, so I broke out my new copy of King of Tokyo. Which, I've been dying to play that. Oh, it's a fantastic board game. You get to basically each play large, you know, um, Pacific Rim, Godzilla, uh, Kaiju-style characters, and you guys are all competing to destroy Tokyo. There is a version called King of New York, which is kind of for established gamers, people who really love board games and strategy, but King of Tokyo really is just pure party game destruction. Hmm. And it was a really good way to kind of end Christmas, which um, it, it reminded me very much of when you're a kid and you have all the boxes and wrapping paper and you just kind of destroy your living room. Mm. It was that wrought very small. So <laughs> That sounds like a lot of fun. So it was, it was my Christmas present to myself, and I'm very glad I purchased it. How about you? What have you been up to? I have been playing uh, The Talos Principle, uh, which oh. came out way early in 2015, I think, on PC, and then eventually also got a version on consoles, or at least on the PlayStation 4. And I had sort of missed it because I wasn't playing a lot of, you know, sit-down, long PC games during the time when it was first coming out, and it got really good reviews on on PC. Um, but I, I didn't even know that it had had a, a console release. It was completely flew under my radar and then it came up on some sort of a sale for like 20 bucks on the PS4. And so I picked it up just thinking, Hey, well, I don't know. I'll have some time around Christmas to play some games and it is a great game. We probably won't be able to do it on the show because it's also a fairly long game, sort of medium length. I would say, you know, 15 to 20 hours, um, which is longer than we usually do. But if you like puzzle games, if you like first person puzzle games, you know, uh, things like Portal, uh, then this is a really great game to pick up. It doesn't have a sort of a central conceit, like something like Portal. It's all just sort of little uh, block and laser and reflector and other clever mechanic type of puzzles. The puzzles are well designed. But really what's standing out to me about it is how it tells its story. Like it's, um, um, you're completing these puzzles to unlock locks to do more puzzles. It's sort of a, you know, short game loop. But in between puzzles, you're interacting with this computer system and trying to kind of discover more about the world around you. And it's it's very clever in the way that it sort of divulges its story in a way that really reminds me of interactive fiction. All the story comes to you in the form of interacting with a text prompt on a computer. Mm. And yet, it's a really involving story with all sorts of sort of um, – uh, philosophy behind it. I don't want to spoil anything because it's really clever, but um, the story in the game is so much more interesting than it looks like on the tin. Very clever game, and the puzzles are great, too. Um, and, and they're very short puzzles. No puzzle has really taken me more than 10 or 15 minutes, and there's a lot of them, so it's really easy to jump in, play a quick puzzle or two, and then, you know, bail. So if you're, uh, if you're looking for a puzzle game and you missed uh, the Talos Principle, definitely check it out. And that's wonderful because most people who have tried to sell me on the Talos principle have led with the philosoph the philosophy element. They haven't mentioned the puzzles much. Um, they mostly just talk about the language and kind of the higher goals of the game, 
which is similar to people who sell Braid only talking about the higher goals of that game and neglect to say it's a great puzzle game. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear that Towel's Principle has some fun behind it because I was hit against the kind of pretension wall. And it sounds like that's not the um, version of the game you played at all. No, no. Yeah, it's it's not pretentious at all. It, or that's not true. There is a sort of a level of that. You can, if you get We're into it on that some sub. pretension here. Yeah, short day. I <laughs> Absolutely. mean, we talk about video games for 45 minutes. Ugh, too long, really. But it's it's a, it's a great game in that the, the, the puzzles are all self-contained and cleverly laid out. And the way that the game is laid out makes it incredibly user-friendly. Like, you don't think about that, but the game is really user-friendly. You know exactly what you need to do to progress at all times. And, you know, there's signs pointing you in the right direction for your next puzzle. And it manages to do that without losing its mystery either. It's not, you know, you're very free to choose puzzles in whatever order you want. It's really... It's really well designed on every level, but the puzzle solving aspect of it is great. So anyway, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Short Game. Uh, 2016 is looking really exciting. There's a lot of new games coming out, and there's a lot of things we missed from the previous year that we're still catching up on. If last year's any indication, we'll probably be playing all the things we missed from 2015 all the way through June. And after that, (laughs) who knows? Uh, But... If you have any games that you think we missed over the year or that you're really looking forward to in 2016 and want to make sure that we check out as soon as we can, uh, drop us a note. You can go to www.theshortgame.net or you can write us at info at theshortgame.net. Our show is on Twitter at underscore shortgame. And uh, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly. I'm on Twitter at Reagan K, spelled R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura Jade Nash. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Short Game.